Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Slash Podcast. We are a bunch of dorky British D&D gamers, and for the first time, we're going to do a podcast. I'm here with my resident DM, Charlie, and our fellow ranger, Dale, and I'm Alex, and today... Uh, our top, first ever topic is going to be reviewing the newly released book. God, um, Dale, give us the name. Give us the full name. It is the Astral's. It is the Astral's Adventures Guide. Astral Adventurers Guide. There we go. Second time's the charm. Uh, we have not looked at this book, so everything that uh, we're going to see is pretty much the first time we're going to be looking at it. So you're going to be getting our unadulterated first review, first impressions. Oh, no, you can read them out. I'm reading them out. My God, I put my glasses on. <laughs> so, from the looks of it, we've got the Astral Elf, the Autonome, the Gif, the Hadus, the Plasmoid. Wow, I have to get this close to the screen. And I can the, zoom in. Uh, is that say free cream? Three yeah. cream, yeah. Three cream. Yeah, so some pretty interesting, uh, some pretty interesting things. I know, I know for a fact that definitely the GIF or the GIF. I'm, I'm going with GIF. Um, have been in a previous edition of of D and D before because I've seen them before, and then I think the three queen have as well. So those are uh, returning races, which is right, pretty let's, cool. Let's not. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that. Oh, the picture. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Yeah. What, so, yeah, yeah. That picture. so yeah, we were that basically right saying like space pirates, weren't we? And that right there has summed it up. Yeah, it's like, so, I mean, is, is, is this a gif? Gives me, uh, yeah, that's a gif. Yeah, it gives yeah. me gif features. And we essentially yeah. got what looks to be a pirate pirate ship just flying through space. As you do, looks like a pretty big nebula in the background. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm. That that character definitely has the wild spacer uh, background. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, here's just some generic, uh, generic character creation rules. Uh, obviously, choosing languages probably specific. So obviously, you can read write common, blah 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 stuff that you're all used to. Um, lifespans. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all that's all standard stuff, standard affair. Uh, so the first brand new, I believe it's brand new. I could be wrong. Uh, race is the astral elf. So. Long ago, groups of elves ventured from the Feywilds to the astral plane to be closer to their gods. Life in the Silver Void has imbued their souls with a spark of divine light. Uh, that light manifests as a starry gleam in an astral elf's eye. Wise. Because nothing ages on the astral plane, astral elves who inhabit the, uh, that plane can be very old, and their longevity gives them an unusual perspective on the passage of time. Uh, some are prone to melancholy. That'd be me. Uh, while others might display an absence of feeling, uh, many look to uh, many look for creative ways to occupy themselves. Whether they choose to live in quiet contemplation or strike out and explore the reaches of the multiverse, astral elves tend to see through the lens of time uh, as having little or no meaning to them. Astral elves who don't dwell on astral plane can live for more than seven hundred and fifty years, so they're pretty long, pretty long uh, spanning creatures. I mean, pretty cool art. Don't elves? Standard elves? Live for yeah, elves. 
I don't know if it's 750. I'm not honestly sure, but it's definitely a long time. It might be yeah, so I, I believe it's it's close to a thousand years is the, the figure oh. that comes to mind off the top of my head. But I think the key thing here is that they specified elves that don't dwell on the astral plane. I think that's because things that are on the astral plane don't actually age at all. So Yeah, yeah, they don't. Yeah. So basically if you go to space, you die faster. Don't be slower. an ast- don't be an astral elf. No, no, it's slower. It's the it's isn't it the opposite of that? Yeah, the the astral the astral when astral elves leave the astral plane, they can live up to seven hundred and fifty years. Yeah, so I think when they're in the astral plane, they're living right. You got me. as long as they want. But mm. then education is key, kids. <laughs> Definitely cool art. I really like the. I mean, they just look like elves, obviously, but I like the the eyes. They've got like a black. Um, I can't remember the name of the white to the eye, but those are no longer white. They're black. And then they seem to have like a solid yellow uh, iris with no pupil, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Right, what have we got for traits? What am I dealing with? So, creature type, you are a humanoid. You are also considered an elf for any prerequisite or effect that requires you to be an elf. Uh, You'd be a medium-sized creature. Walking speed would be 30 feet. Uh, now, I think we're getting into the new stuff here. We've got something called Astral Fire. So you would know one of the following cantrips of your choice, those being Dancing Lights, Light, or Sacred Flame. Um, and then Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma is your spellcasting ability for it. Interestingly enough, though, they've then got Dark Vision, where they can see in dim light within 60 feet of themselves. Um, so it's almost as if those two contradict one another. Or rather, it makes me wonder what the idea is behind the Astral Fire trait there. Um, got Fey Ancestry that's sort of a standard thing for elves there I believe whereby they have advantage on saving throws made to avoid or end the charmed condition on themselves um, Keen Senses they would have by default proficiency in the perception skill now we're on to some more new things here so we've got Starlight Step as a bonus action they can magically teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space that they can see and they can use this trait a number of times equal to their proficiency bonus, and they regain all expended uses when they finish a long rest. Um, to me, that sounds... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Misty Step? So Misty Step has a range of 30 feet as well, if, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so this right. feels like it's just Misty Step that they've got almost on tap. It's, the, it's very similar to Maya Ladrin's Face Step as well. Mm, mm, I think mm. they're trying to keep that sort of uh, similarity, maybe, between these elven races. Um, so yeah, interesting. Um, I can see that being really useful, but we'll touch back on that in a moment. Uh, last trait that we've got there is astral trance. So again, similar to elves as standard, they don't need to sleep and magic cannot put them to sleep. And they finish long rest within four hours. If they spend those hours in a trance like meditation during which they would remain conscious. Um, but this is where we get some interesting stuff. When they finish that trance, they gain proficiency in one skill of their choice and with one weapon or tool of their choice, selected from the player's handbook. Um, And they're lore-wise gaining those proficiencies by drawing them from shared elven memory and the experiences of entities on the astral plane. And they can retain those until they finish their next long rest. So that's really quite interesting there. It allows them to sort of diversify their proficiencies. 
I think right off the bat, my first impression of this race is it's pretty loaded. I think it's in terms of features, it's it's pretty good. I mean, how Alex, uh, your face step, how often do you get to use that? Is it the same in terms of um, same amount of times as your proficiency bonus? No, it's um, I believe the Eladrin face step is only once per short or long rest. Wow. So yeah, so Starlight Step seems really strong. Um, obviously, the the you know the more you level up, the more you better use it. I think that's really strong. And again, it's just it's basically just a better version of Misty Step. Because Misty Step is what it's a first level spell. It's not a country, right? That'd be broken. That'd be very broken. Yeah, I have um, it's not very high at all, is it? I think it's it's no, a first it, level it is, spell. It I think. is a first level spell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's the second level. Oh wow! What? Okay, and it's so, one bonus action as well. Yeah, so well, it's a bonus action here too. Yeah, so so uh, Missy Step, you're um, you're restricted by the amount of second level spell slots you have. Whereas this is it's a bonus action as well, so it's automatically on par with it. And then you, it's also you can expend it. Uh, you can do it the uh, same number of times as your proficiency bonus. That seems really strong. That seems like a really good feature. Um, it's limited by per long rest, of course, but. I yeah, yeah, of right. course. I think that could be really useful if used in the right context. So, something yeah, that I we could benefit from having that quick 30 feet instant jump as a bonus action. It's yeah. it's um, proficiency as well. Um, the number of uses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proficiency bonus. Yeah, your proficiency bonus. You could be jumping about all over the place, high level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, imagine like taking a fighter and then just, yeah, like high level, just bouncing around the place, just slicing everyone up. With no light. To be no honest, I think, it's, I think it's useless no matter what your class is. I mean, you take like yeah, like a fighter, like you say, a uh, uh, a rogue. It'd be really good on a rogue. Uh, not not even just like in combat, out of combat, it'd be really good as a rogue. Um, then obviously spellcasters, like a wizard. If you've got like a wizard that's throwing down like really annoying spells, like crowd control spells against like the the sort of bosses that you fight, the, the enemies that you fight, you'd be pretty hard to pin down and and um it would definitely make you a target but you'd be able to slip away i think so i think it's a really really strong what about like rules on um like restraint can you use it in restraint this would have been um my point so from a dm's perspective here this is so powerful in so many ways outside of combat as well this this can remove Say, for example, they were trapped inside of a cell which had a, you know, like iron bars stopping them from leaving. With this, they can just step out. Um, If it works in exactly the same way as uh, Misty Step does, um, it would remove them from restraints. Um, However, this doesn't seem to actually require any components. It doesn't ask you for, you know, somatic or uh, verbal components. It's just saying, as a bonus action, you can do this. Yeah, so from a a space that you can see. So this actually almost feels stronger yeah than yeah because yeah. like from yeah. a combat perspective right if you put this on a barbarian who gets kited a lot mm. yeah like as soon yeah. as they get locked down they'll just misty step over to you so that's what i mean I, I think like it, this this feels too good in the sense that this would be very useful on any class you put it on and mm. that's how good this is like yeah i think that's, that's really good you know, a lot of the time people say that having flight as something that an early character has can be too overpowered because it can circumnavigate so many things that, that DMs will use with low-level players. 
Mm. You know, the classic example is, you know, someone could just fly to the top of a tower when you expected them to have to sort of fight their way up to the top. This is the yeah, same, well, but even better, they could just teleport up to the top. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah it, it just feels so powerful, especially they're getting this from, you know, the very start of their character's journey. They're, they're getting this right off the get-go. Yeah, it feels it feels very strong. And to your point about flying as a flight, that's why it's why a lot of DMs um, ban Arakocker in their games. Uh, me personally, if I was DMing a game, I wouldn't allow Arakocker because it's just it's a DM like low level. It's just annoying having to deal with someone that can just fly around, fly around. Um, <laughs> and I can see I'm this just... just being even more annoying as a DM. To be perfect. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, no, that's really strong. Um, going from going from that positive though, I'd say. Astral Fire. I think Charlie, you mentioned it when you were reading it out, but yeah, it yeah, feels so a bit counterproductive. Precisely, it, it sort of seems like so. They've already got Dark Vision as an elf, which is fine. As standard, you know, elves would have that feature. Astral Fire. I get thematically, it sort of makes sense, but from from me as a as a player perspective, it's like, well, am I ever going to use this? I've got Dark Vision already. When would I ever need uh, to use any of these spells? Sacred Flame obviously is an offensive spell, so that's always useful to have as, as an offensive cantrip, especially if you're not a, a spellcaster yourself. You know, you've always got some way to deal damage. Um, so maybe there's some appeal to it there. Um, but yeah, for Dancing Lights or Light, I feel like that's more, more thematic than anything. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. It's, it's definitely more flavor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but for sure. Nice. What are we saying overall, then? I'd say pretty strong. How about yeah. we give it a rating out of 10? How do we feel about that? A rating out of 10. All right, go yeah. on. Let's, all right, you start then, Mr. Rating. Sure. sure. So I would probably give this a 6. Um, a lot of that is coming from the thematics surrounding it. So if you just scroll up back to the design for the, the creature, specifically, I remember thinking, yeah, so that middle one, to me, that looks like a really interesting take on like a fantasy spacesuit, if you will. Mm -hmm. um which is really cool and you sort of get this impression of like regality and nobility from this race um you know almost as if they're like the high elves of the astral plane um so thematically i think they're really cool which is giving them those six points out of my six of ten they're losing four points here because mechanically as a dm they would be a headache to be perfectly honest yeah okay yeah no that's to be fair it's a good point i think that Alex and I are probably going to rate this from a player's perspective. It's quite good, actually, that, Charlie, you could rate it from a DM's perspective. So that's quite cool. Um, I mean, I'll go next. I think with... I think, obviously, we've discussed how broken Starlight Step is. Or not broken, but very powerful. I think with Astral Trance that we that we didn't really talk about, the fact that uh, when you do your four hours of rest uh, each day, you can gain a proficiency of a skill uh of your choice and with one weapon or tool of your choice i think the fact that you're gaining a skill proficiency and a weapon or tool proficiency each day and you can change that each day after taking your rest i think that's really strong as well um it i think obviously if you're if you're a party that likes to plan ahead um much like our party attempts to do uh in in the odyssey of the dragon Lords game um yeah, I think if you're a party that loves to plan ahead, that's really, really powerful. Uh, but for players that don't necessarily like to plan ahead or uh, plans usually fail, um, I don't. I, I, I could see it being useful, but potentially not. I think it's. I think it's quite a hit or miss feature. But I do think there's very, like, very good potential in it. So I would give this 
honestly, from a player's perspective, I, I would genuinely give it an eight out of ten. I think it's a really strong, really strong race. Um, obviously, the Astral Fire very theme based, and I, I don't really see the point in it. But again, if you've got a human in your party that doesn't have dark vision, dancing lights or light, having that ability to give them vision in, in a dark area is obviously pretty useful. Uh, yeah, eight out of ten. I think it's really good. Yeah, to be honest, I'm going to meet you straight on that eight out of ten. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to be you know I'm going to be right on there with you and say this is a strong race, maybe a little bit too strong, but my heart's going to stick with the space theme, you know, and the elves as well. I'm a sucker for an elf, so yeah, I'm going to go eight out of ten as well. Yeah, it's right up your street, isn't it? Space and elves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what have we got next? We've got next uh, the auto gnome. Um, Charlie, do you want to take this one? Sure. So this right off the bat looks very interesting, but I'll read through the description. Uh, so auto gnomes are mechanical beings built by rock gnomes. Sometimes because of a malfunction or a unique circumstance, an auto gnome becomes separated from its creator and strikes out on its own. An auto gnome bears a resemblance to its creator, and most auto gnomes are programmed to speak and understand gnomish. The internal components used in an autonome's manufacture can vary wildly. One autonome might have an actual beating heart in its chest cavity, while another might be powered by stardust or intricate clockwork gears. A player would roll on the autonome history table, or they would choose an entry that they like to identify what event set them on the path to adventure. And if nothing on the table appeals to them, they could work with their DM to create an origin story for their character. Like gnomes, Autonomes can live for centuries, typically up to 500 years. I think right off the bat, right just coming off that description, I think this race in particular is very, very good for creating a very fleshed out and interesting backstory for a character. Mm, absolutely. Um, I think obviously, I think it obviously it does say like work with your DM to create an origin story for the character, and the fact that it gives you a D6 table to generate one for yourself. Uh, and it being about obviously, you know, what caused you as a creation to depart from your uh, creator uh, and then sort of strike out on your own. I think that's a really interesting, really interesting uh, way to create a race. Absolutely, this is perfect for the kind of player that sometimes struggles with not necessarily building a backstory, but trying to figure out that sort of kicking off point to to start building. This gives you that baked into the actual race that you're playing. Yeah, I'm going to suggest this uh, this race to Ryan if his character ever dies <laughs> in our campaign. <laughs> um, no, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Actually, I'm, I'm I, I think I don't like gnomes. Let that be known. I really just don't like them. Whoa. Let that be known. Um, as a race, I just they just it just doesn't suit my play style. It doesn't suit my sort of interest as a get as a player. I'm just not a fan. Um, and. But- Dale, you're fair, these are not gnomes, these are constructs. Autona, exactly. Now, I'm a fan of uh, Warforged for, for that reason. So I think that this can bridge my gap between liking constructs and Warforged and not liking gnomes. And I think that I would, I, I can see myself playing an auto gnome, actually. I think it's a really interesting concept. Uh, I just, I just don't know what your problem is with gnomes. I just don't, I don't know. I just don't like them. Right. Gnomes are so good. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it is nice to see them bring in a few more constructs into the game. To be honest, absolutely. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, who wants to read through the racial traits? Alex, your eyes up to it. Ooh. Uh, let's see. 
So, we, as we're a gnome, we are small for this race. Mm. We do have 30 feet of movement. Do normal gnomes have 25, or is that like just dwarves? I think that's, or that's just dwarves, I believe. Yeah, I so think dwarves not... definitely have 25 feet. So, we've got 30 feet of movement. Not bad, not bad. Is that armored casing? Yeah. Mm hmm. You are encased in a metal or uh, in a thin metal or some other durable material. While you aren't wearing armor, your base AC is 13 plus your dex. Not bad. Is, is that similar to like um, it, like the, the, the tortle and stuff like that? They get like... Some other races have had natural armor. Tortle, yeah, tortles. Like lizards uh, do as well, don't they? Lizard folk. I, I think would so. have no idea. I, I, I would. That one. I would because of uh, the legendary Grusk. Of course. <laughs> Listen, well, listeners would have no idea, but it's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Aranak, the character I'm playing currently in our uh, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords campaign, he is a total. Uh, and he, so one of his racial features is he can't wear armor, um, but his base AC is 17. And obviously, I carry a shield around, so his, his AC is 19. Right, um, so it's so a yeah. similar mechanic then. Yeah, yeah very similar. Yeah. Uh, we've also got... Camera uh, armor. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've also got um, built for success. You can add a D4 to one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw you make. And you can do so after seeing the D20 roll, but before the effects of the roll are resolved. You can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and... You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Okay, okay. so this is a little bit like uh, this is a little bit like um, what is it? The the D four um, uh, guidance guidance. It's a little bit like mm. guidance baked into the class, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. race. Sorry, built in. That's guidance. pretty good, and it's it's better than it's better than guidance because guidance. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have to you have to roll the guidance before the D twenty is rolled. Yeah, you can use this. It said you can use this right. Uh, you can do so Before after the... seeing the D20, right? That's, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It? No, so, so no, yeah. That's that's it. Is that so? So it's a it's a baked in uh, guidance, but yeah. better because guidance you have to do before the D20 is rolled. Yeah, it's a back yeah. it's a back pocket guidance. That's yeah. pretty handy. And then again, again, it's it's similar to the the astral step. It's um, you can yeah. do it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, which is pretty good. Okay, so next we've got healing machine. So if the mending spell is cast on you, you can spend a hit die, roll it, and regain that number of hit points equal to you, the roll plus your constitution modifier. That's pretty cool. I like the introduction of like, uh, not just always resorting to cure wounds, healing word. You know, we're using mending on a construct, which generally makes sense. And it's baked into a bit of healing for the class, so, or the race, sorry. So that's pretty cool. I like it, but it does go on to say, in addition, your creator designed you to benefit from several spells that preserve life that uh, that don't normally affect constructs, so cure wounds, healing word, mass cure wounds, mass healing word, and spellodyne. So I like that the mending spell can be cast on you and it heals you, but at the same time, that feels pretty useless when normal heal, like conventional healing spells will heal you. It feels just very flavor-based. Like, mm. oh, cool, I can cast mending on myself. Um, um, and it fixes me up. Do you know what I mean? It feels very flavor based. So, are these new rules or are these rules specifically for this race? Do Warforge uh, no. see the effects of stuff like cure wounds not working? I don't think so. 
Yeah, so by default, if you were to look at a healing spell, so for example, Cure Wounds, um, there's a line in there that specifies that the spell has no effect on constructs or the undead. All right, so it does, it should, so as written, it should not work for Warforged, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And personally, seeing this, I really don't like that second section to the healing machine trait. Um, In my mind, it introduces some questions potentially into any D&D world that I then bring this race into. Because if their if their creator designed them to benefit from these spells that preserve life, then it raises the question: Why doesn't every creator of a construct do the same? Yeah, um, I think there's really something to be gained here by having autonome function intrinsically differently to other player characters in terms of their healing. If there was some way to expand on how the mending spell can help them restore hit points and sort of make up for that that. Uh, lack of being able to heal via conventional means um i think there's some real potential to to get something interesting out of that it's a shame it almost feels a little bit lazy that they've sort of just turned around and said but also you know our creator designed you to benefit from these these healing spells it's like well why yeah, is I was, the solution there how have they made it work for them where other constructs it doesn't work i was also gonna say it does feel a little bit lazy it feels like they've stuck the men in there because oh that sounds cool it's a cool idea because it's a construct but we don't want to punish players for choosing this brand new race that they've paid for, that they've paid for the book, and they have got a new race. They don't want to punish them too much. That's what it feels right. like to me. It's it's it feels like a business idea more than a uh, more than a uh, like an in game idea. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I get that. I get that you wouldn't want to punish your players, but I think the key thing here is you can have it be different and still not punishing. You just need to make sure that there's a, a subsequent, uh, there's a substantial trade-off there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're sacrificing their ability to heal for some other alternate method of healing. So I don't know, maybe if you stick them in a barrel, a barrel of oil, they slowly regenerate or something could be a thought off the top of my head. You know, there's plenty yeah. of ways that you could go about it. I'm, yeah, if I'm, I was to take this race, I would personally take that second part out and figure something out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right off the top of my mind, heat metal. Heat metal is a good example. Obviously, it, obviously, if they're made out of metal, obviously, I think at the top it does say uh, they're made out of uh, where is it? Thin metal. Yeah, thin um, metal, or it was like a material of the creator's choice, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, it's uh, and again, that's that to me is good flavor. Obviously, if you're made out of metal, then potentially um, heat metal could obviously you, you could work with a forge, uh, someone that can you do forge. Obviously, if you're working with like a Forge domain cloak, for example, like we are in our current campaign. Um, heat cast heat metal, and then you can reshape that metal so it's fixed essentially. It, it, again, it's just a, it's a unique new way of using a pre existing spell that, for all intents and purposes, is pretty useless. Uh, like mending, it's pretty useless, pretty mundane. Um, so I like, I like the idea, I just don't think the execution is very good. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So we've got um, mechanical nature, I believe. You have resistance to poison damage and immunity to disease, and you have advantage on saving throws uh, against being paralyzed or poisoned. Do not eat, drink, or breathe. It's pretty interesting, I guess. I think yeah. that's is that that's pretty standard across constructs, though, right? Yeah, this is, sort of a, this is well, this is sort of a standard trait for most constructs. Yeah. Um, huh. I don't know about the paralyzed section. I, I yeah, I was just thinking that. that. Um, I'm gonna have a look for. Um... For Warforged, because I know Warforged don't need to drink, uh, eat, drink, or breathe, and they can't be poisoned. Or I, I believe, yeah, it's advantage against being poisoned. Um, but paralyzed. I mean, again, I feel like if I was to change this, I would change. I would get scrapped the paralyzed bit, 
and just give um, full-on resistant uh, immunity to poison. And I know that's pretty strong for a player character race, but you're a construct. You know, if you're going to use logic there, how is the construct going to be poisoned? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It's um, the case for uh, monster manual constructs, so things like a stone golem, they would be immune to those conditions. Uh, So again, it's like, I think they've tried to do a bit of balancing here to say, you know, oh, well, we still need them to be vulnerable somewhat. We can't have them being immune to something from a racial trait. Um, Again, I think maybe there's that hesitation to commit fully to making it absolutely a construct. But from my perspective, you know, I'd appreciate it more if they gave them everything that a construct should have. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've got um, Century's Rest. So essentially, as a construct, you spend at least six hours in an inactive, uh, inactive, motionless state instead of sleeping. In this state, you appear inert, but you are conscious. So I'm presuming you are, you have the ability to hear, see, maybe. Mm. I think this is a trait that Warforged have as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm just having a look now. So, Sentry's rest. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, six hours. Yeah. So um, the way I interpret it is, yeah, you'll. It's basically standby mode, and it's similar to how when like elves and and uh, now goblins can go into a bit of a um, meditation uh, mm. uh, for four hours, but they're still conscious. I think it's the same thing. I think it is just a, like you shut down everything but your eyes, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And then you've got specialized design. So you gain two tool proficiencies of your choice selected from the player's handbook. So oh, I can imagine they're trying to go for a, an idea that you're constructed for a reason. Maybe you, you know, input in your background that you're constructed to work in a forge, something like that, maybe. Yeah. Again, I think, I mean, I, I mentioned it right uh, at the start when we started talking about it. I think that this is a very interesting race because it's very flavorful and it allows the player to work with the DM to create a really nice background. So this just feeds into that. I think it's a really nice, um, really nice way of creating a unique character. Okay, quick scores all around. What are we going for? Go on, Charlie. Give us the DM's verdict. Sure. So DM's verdict. I really like how they have all of these backstory features baked into the race. It's really good to recommend to someone who's relatively new to D&D, but still needs that extra bit of support mechanically in terms of getting their backstory built out. But then I feel like there's major fundamental drawbacks to how they're not quite willing to commit to this being a construct. You know, they've given some features, but they've clearly taken away in terms of the the healing and the uh, only resistance to paralysis or poisoned instead of full immunity. So because of that, I would actually rate this slightly higher than the uh, than the space elves, uh, the astral elves. I, I would give these a seven out of ten. Okay, um, I'll go next. Um, yeah, I really like the I mean I really like the sort of the background nature of it and how you can create a really unique character. I think that with the specialized design you could end up having a party of like four or five of these and still have a pretty unique character amongst the lot. Um the built for success uh with it being basically essentially a baked in guidance into the class and being able to actually um use that after the D20s rolled is really good. I think that's quite powerful. And then the armored case in um Basically, meaning that if you're not wearing armor, your armor class is 13 plus your dex modifier. Um, you get an extra three onto your armor class outside of like normal, normal uh, races. If you're not wearing an armor, 
So I think it's pretty good. But again, as Charlie mentioned, I think there's a lot here that they were going for, but didn't quite execute properly. So I'm just going to go with my gut and I'll honestly say probably six, six out of ten. Uh, I don't think I would play it unless we were going for a, more of a less serious campaign. I guess if we were going for a less serious campaign, then I might think about it. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't play it in a serious campaign. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, another eight out of ten. I oh. like it. I think it's got good RP, good potential for background, which is I'm a sucker for. I can see myself as being like a a craftsman, a craftsman's like uh, little assistant or something. Maybe I'm a you know some someone in a forge or someone in like carpentry or something. Came from making tables straight out into a space adventure, but um, from a like a from a combat perspective i'm not overly interested with most of the uh features that come with it uh i think they're a little bit like mm, they're okay i'm not i'm not too fussed about them really um there's nothing that excites me in there anyway so yeah, yeah. i'm gonna go for an eight minus uh yeah the two just missing two from like the combat i guess it's not very not that interesting i suppose combat was that's fair and one thing i've thought about as well as obviously this uh, this book is very um, well. It's Spelljammer, isn't it? So it's very space orientated. So I think you could, if you were running a campaign in space with the spaceships, the Spelljammer uh, ships, it could be a really interesting dynamic where this class, this race, sorry, uh, works on the ships. So you could basically be your party could set out on a on a Spelljammer, and then if it gets damaged, this character who's playing this race can be responsible for repairing the ship. I think that's I think that's quite a cool and again, it's very backstory focused and it's very sort of like um flavor focused for the campaign. Um but I'd say it's not gonna add a point for me. I'm still going six out of ten. I'm just gonna ruin your perception now of the autonome, but this just gives me Wally vibes. Yeah. Yeah. It, I tell you what, it reminded me of um uh Sam Regal's character in Critical Role. Oh fresh cut grass. Fresh cut grass, yeah. It reminds me of it does a little bit. Maybe the maybe there is aspects of it in there. Maybe yeah, yeah maybe they play tested it and brought some of that in. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um so moving on. We have the GIF, GIF GIF. I'm going with GIF. Uh these are essentially anthropomorphic hippos. Uh, so GIF are tall, broad-shouldered folk with hippo-like features. Some have smooth skin, while others have short bristles on their faces and the top of their heads. Uh, as being of impressive size, I'm going to stop right there, actually, because uh, a little bit of well, we've discussed this before, but it says as beings of impressive size, yet they are medium-sized creatures. Anyway. Where are the large creatures, wizards? Exactly. Um... As being as of impressive size and unforgettable appearance, GIF are noticed wherever they go. Uh, most GIF believe they originated on one world, but their home world is now stuff of legend because no living GIF has ever seen it nor, know, nor knows where it is. The divine beings who created GIF have like, uh, likewise been forgotten. Their titanic, petrified bodies drift on the astral sea, isolated and unrecognisable in their current forms. Although they don't realise it, GIF are drawn to the astral plane because on a deep psychic level, they remain connected to their created, uh, creator gods uh, who have just enough divine spark left in them to abuse GIF with sparks of their own, which uh, GIF have learned to channel through their weapons. 
Uh, most GIF have no idea where this so-called astral spark comes from, but they feel its presence most strongly when they are in wild space or the astral sea. GIF are split into two camps concerning on how their names are pronounced. Oh, here we go. Half of them say it with a hard G and half of them say it with a soft G, so GIF or JIF. Disagreements uh, over the correct pronunciation uh, are often blossom into hard feelings, loud arguments and headbutting contests, but these rarely escalate beyond that. Uh, beyond that. So I think that's really funny. That's obviously a nod to the GIF-JIF argument. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are we all? We're all GIF, right? It's got to be GIF, yeah. It's got to be GIF. Now, um, I would actually contest that and potentially call them a JIF. Oh and the only reason... If you look at their design, right, in my mind, it's impossible to envision them not having like a very uh, Victorian English accent in my mind. And one of the words that you would associate with that is the word jiffy. I'll see you in a jiffy. Exactly. So that sort of stems to me, at least, where I'm I'm pulling that from. Look at us, Brits. That's a fair argument. That's a fair argument. Um... I think they, I think the design's cool. I mean, they are just large. Oh, sorry, medium-sized hippo people. Um, I really, uh, yeah, I really don't like how it says it does specify in their description as being impressive size, but then their racial size is medium. Um, Wizards of the Coast seem to be afraid of making large-sized creatures. Uh, most of the previous large-sized races uh, note the Minotaur. They reduce from being large to medium. Well, however, when you play against them, it, when they're monsters, they're large. It just again, it feels like monsters to. It's the similar thing to with the autonome. Give constructs what constructs have. Uh, give monitors what monitors have. I bet if I bet there's gif, uh, gif or gif uh, monsters in the uh, booze astral menagerie book. They also get it with this, and I bet they're large in that. We'll have a look at that in a bit, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, viewers and listeners a... at home can probably tell that this is a, an ongoing discussion that we've had outside of this episode, potentially. Yeah. Um, in my mind, I think it's interesting because when we looked into this at first, we discovered that the reason that they were hesitant to create large creatures is due to balancing concerns. And yet, earlier in this book, we have seen that they have given uh, the Astral Elf Misty Step as many times as their proficiency bonus. So. Where do we draw the line here in terms of balancing? Would be my question. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a bugbear of mine. Um, having played in a previous campaign, having played uh, a monitor being large, it just feels so much more satisfying as a player. If if I was playing a monitor that was a medium creature, it wouldn't feel as good. Um, anyway, so as I mentioned, their size is medium. Their creature type is humanoid. To no one's surprise, I imagine. Uh, their speed, so they have a walking speed of thirty feet. Uh, and you also have a swimming speed equal to your walking speed, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, not quite sure where they need to swim in space, but we'll go with it. I believe in the Astral Sea, you just don't you think of the direction you want to go and you move that direction. That's correct, isn't yeah. it? For the Astral correct. Sea, yeah, I thought so. So you don't need, you don't really need a walking speed in the Astral Sea. Um, <laughs> a feature that they have is an Astral Spark. So your psychic connection to the Astral Plane enables you to mystically access uh, access. Uh, a spark of divine power, uh, which you can channel through your weapons. When you hit a target with a simple or martial weapon, you can cause the target to take an extra force damage equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, seems all right. I mean, extra damage is extra damage. It's pretty good. Uh, obviously, not very useful the lower level you are. 
Oh, actually, no. I'd say inversely. Pretty pretty good, the lower level you are, because obviously everything that you'll be fighting has pretty low health pools. Um, so I think it's one that gets weaker the later you go in the levels. Uh, you can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. That seems to be the theme of this book. Uh, most of the most of the features are equal to your proficiency bonus, um, but you can use it no more than once per turn. You regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Um, sounds alright. It's okay. I mean, it's very similar to certain other features that other races have. It's just it's nice to have, but wouldn't be missed if it wasn't there. Uh, in my in my opinion, at least. Um, Second one they have is Firearms Mastery. Uh, so you have a mystical connection to firearms that traces back to the gods of the GIF, GIF uh, who delighted in such weapons. You have proficiency with all firearms and ignore the loading property on any firearm. In addition, to a, uh, in addition attacking at long range with a firearm does not impose disadvantage on your attack rolls. That sounds very strong. Yeah, 100%. That sounds very, very strong. It sort of allows them to intrinsically change how certain weapons work. So for those who are unfamiliar with loading property within firearms, and you can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong on this assumption here, but I'm pretty sure what this means is um, if a character had, say, for example, multi-attack, but they were using a weapon which had the loading restriction, despite having multiple attacks available to them, they could only fire that weapon once per turn, I believe, uh, before they would then have to designate another action to reloading it. Um, I, would, this... I would specify that it's just on firearms. So, like, take the longbow for example. They'd still have to reload the longbow. Mm. Um, although I don't think the longbow has the loading property, does it? I think it's just the crossbows. Yeah, heavy crossbows. Sorry, sorry, heavy. Yeah, 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 I was thinking of the wrong. Yeah, heavy crossbow. Of course. Which um, I, I wouldn't class as a firearm. Yeah. It's yeah, a bow. One hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a ranged weapon, and I think firearms mm. are categorized separately. Right. Um, but even so, this feels really strong. This this sort of allows you to build a fighter class I envision, which has, you know, multi-attack. Um, and being able to fire several shots at a massive range, because if you look at that second sentence there, or third sentence, sorry, we can see that it's not imposing disadvantage on the attack roll when they're in that long range threshold. So you can really make like a pretty devastating, you know, uh <laughs> rifle I, sniper hippo almost. Yeah. It's it's interesting actually because I mean, you get the full benefit, the full range of any firearm that you hold. That's that mm. seems pretty strong. I mean, Alex, you mentioned him earlier. You played Grusk. Mm -hmm. He was a he was an avid user of firearms. So, of course, have, ha having played a character that used firearms, how do you take that? Um, I mean, it definitely makes it a lot easier. I mean, I've had experience playing up to level twenty as a gunslinger and reloading. You know, just completely takes away one of your attacks. But um, to be honest, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know what? There's opportunity to actually use firearms across every class or a lot more classes now. It's like if I wanted to add a bit of flavor on sort of like a cleric or something, you know, instead of like being a backline cleric that shoots the crossbow when I've got no spells left, I just get out my space gun. <laughs> yeah, it... It does seem bizarre it being a racial feat rather than a like a, a, a subclass feat, for example. Um, that's, yeah, very, very strong. Um, and then lastly, they get Hippo Build. So you have advantage on strength-based ability checks and strength saving throws. In addition, you count as one size larger when determining your carry, uh, carrying capacity uh, and the weights you can push, drag, or lift. Okay, 
this is annoying to me because why not just make why not just make the class uh, the the race sorry I keep saying class mm -hmm. uh, large it, it makes no yeah. sense to me you'll notice that they give a similar trait to other monsters which should technically be large um, and it's sort of their way of saying yeah we know it probably should be a size larger and we're giving you the mechanics of it being a size a size larger but actually it's still a medium creature yeah I think they're putting a medium on it as well for combat mechanics right or map mechanics i suppose it doesn't need to specifically mean combat but if you're delving for a cave and there's tight uh, like tight uh, tunnels that lead through caves and stuff it's really annoying as you might remember for large creatures to squeeze down tight gaps yeah but at the same time most monsters that you fight are large or bigger and if you're a large creature and you willingly go into a space smaller than your creature, you are you're squeezing. And that is a decision that you as a player have to make. I think it just it spices up the game for the player. Like, for example, there was many times me playing Atreus, um, the, the, obviously I played a, a large Minotaur. There's plenty of times where I, I chose to squeeze myself, which then gave me disadvantage um, on attacks and, and saving throws, uh, certain saving throws and things. That's a choice that me as a player made, how, knowing that my character was a large creature. So I think that by making every creature by default medium, it just takes away a bit of that sort of uh, choice, and and it makes it just a bit a bit plain, a bit plain Jane for you know for playing these these sort of um, races. Mm. Okay, go on then. Scores, quick, quick round of scores. Go on, Charlie. Sure, I'll go first. So I would probably rate this as my favorite one so far. Um, mechanically, it doesn't feel like it's that overpowered. I think that the most overpowered thing about it is the firearms mastery, but in of itself, it's not too terrible. Um, you know, it, it, it certainly makes them powerful, but yeah, I don't see that as being something that bad. Um, and uh, roleplay-wise, I think they're a very interesting and unique concept, so I would probably give this a 9 out of 10. I don't really see anything that they've done wrong with it, except yeah. for the, the size. That would get, yeah. if it was, if the size was correct, that would be a 10 out of 10 in my books. I agree. I agree. It definitely would be a 10 out of 10 if, if the size was uh, large. I think, yeah, I think this is a really robust race. The fact that you get your bonus damage to melee attacks, and then you can also make make the most, literally the most, of firearms. I think it's a really strong character, and as you mentioned, Alex, the ability to put uh, the ability to have a firearm on pretty much any class now is really strong. And it's again, it's a flavor thing, and I think that it's a really interesting like uh, mechanic to have a paladin with a shotgun, for example. Do you know what I mean? That would be really cool. Um, but yeah, so, yeah. You, well, you, you probably wouldn't know, right? Because like smite. Um, oh, of course, of course. But depending on how you wanted to play it, like you know, yeah. maybe. It, so, um, and again, it's one of those you could add. Uh, you, you could add some, um, some DM homebrew flair. Obviously, speak to your DM, and and maybe you can use smite on a range attack, but have it be less powerful, yeah. something like that. Um, but I, I do think that this is a really good race, and I, I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I think it's really good. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I'd say nine out of ten as well. Um, I'm pretty impressed with the sun. Uh, it's definitely my favourite so far. It is a little bit weird. Why can't they just? Why can't they just give in and make large races? I don't know, but hey, maybe yeah. we'll see some more soon. I feel like that's the general consensus as to why we're not giving it tens. Um, yeah, just Wizards of the Coast, mate. Make large creatures. 
Thanks for listening to the Lich Lounge podcast. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel and Spotify for the latest episodes and make sure you check out our Twitter at the Lich Lounge for updates on upcoming content.